Luke 1, verses 26 through 35. This is God's holy and infallible word. In the sixth month, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary. The angel went to her and said, Greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. But the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God. You will be with child and give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. His kingdom will never end. How will this be, Mary asked the angel, since I am a virgin? The angel answered, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you, so the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. That's God's word for us this morning. And our special focus is on uh, a word that's used by my count three times in that reading, and that's the word virgin and its connection with Mary and Jesus' birth importance of the virgin birth. People of God, Reverend John MacArthur writes, in July 1978, a little girl named Louise Brown was born in England. At 5 pounds, 12 ounces, she was a tiny baby, but what made her birth extraordinary was that she was the first child ever born who was conceived outside the human body. Little Louise Brown was the first test tube baby. Uh, Some of you uh, might remember back to that time, 1978. Since then, many other children have been conceived in that way, and there are more advances happening in modern medicine all the time. There's something called parthenogenesis that's been experimented with for years by scientists, and that comes from two Greek words, parthenos, which means virgin, and Genesis, which means beginning or birth. So parthenogenesis is literally the science of virgin birth. And it, it, it refers to an embryo developing without fertilization. This happens naturally in many, many plants. It happens in a number of invertebrate animals and a few vertebrates, including some fish some amphibians, some reptiles, even a few birds, I understand. Now, this has been artificially induced in a number of cases in various plant-animal species. But in all cases, all this does is reproduce genetically identical species. Basically, clones of the mother are produced. And, and so, as amazing as developments in reproduction have been, as incredible as some naturally occurring ways of reproduction that sound odd to us, as incredible as some of those naturally occurring ways are, none of these ways, naturally occurring, even modern developments, none of those is miraculous, like the conception and birth of Jesus Christ was. Christ's birth remains 
the greatest miracle of conception the world has ever known. Jesus, who was born a human baby, who was a unique and separate individual, he was certainly not a clone, and he was conceived with no male seed, only a female egg. We talk a lot at Christmas, of course, about the birth of Jesus. But we don't seem to focus too much on the virgin birth. I don't feel like we focus much on what we confess in the Apostles' Creed, that Jesus was conceived by the Holy Spirit and born of the Virgin Mary. It's not like Christians don't believe it, but I think we just don't think much about this doctrine. A century ago, it was really, really focused on. Liberal theologians, for one reason or the other, decided to focus on that doctrine, the doctrine of the virgin birth, to attack viciously. And Christians who took the Bible seriously defended it. Uh, One that a few of you might know the name of is is Machen. He wrote uh, a very excellent book, huge book, all about the doctrine of the virgin birth, defending it. Um, These days, I don't think you'll find, if you did an Amazon search, I don't think you'll find tons of books on that specifically. This is not really much of a discussion on either side. Non-believers continue to rule out the virgin birth, just like they rule out the resurrection and all the other miracles of Scripture. Christians, I don't believe, think tons about it. I think the danger is, if anything today for us, is to think the virgin birth is kind of irrelevant or really not that essential to our faith. So this morning I want us to reflect on the virgin birth for just a bit in order for us to see its significance, to see its relevance. And it seems to me that the virgin birth is important for our faith for a number of reasons. I'll say at the outset, a couple of pastors gave me some good ideas for this message. John MacArthur, James Montgomery Boyce especially, First of all, the virgin birth, I believe, is important for our view of Scripture. We talk about the Bible as being our infallible rule of faith and practice. I often say, as I did this morning before the Scripture reading, this is God's holy and infallible Word. And that speaks to what we believe about the Bible, and that is that it's authoritative, that it is without error, Not that publishers of the Bible can't make mistakes or typos, but when we say without error, we mean the original manuscripts. And this is something that we must stand on and maintain today. A doctrine like the virgin birth of Jesus forces us to do that. Something this miraculous, this out of the ordinary, makes us ask the question, in light of a lot of people who deny the reliability of Scripture, it makes you ask and me, do I believe God's Word on this? Do I trust the Word of God? And then, of course, you either do or you don't. Because you can't pick and choose parts of the Bible. It's either all reliable or none of it is. Either all the doctrines and miracles are true, or none of them can be depended on. And so we're affirming our stance on the Word of God 
and its authority when we affirm the doctrine of the virgin birth. This view of Scripture, that it's authoritative and true, inerrant, absolutely reliable, it has all sorts of direct results for our lives today. In our culture, it incre- increasingly it seems to upset people who don't take the Bible as God's authoritative word. Phil Robertson found this out recently when he tried to state his view on same-gender marriage, which he bases on the Bible. He's on this TV series, Duck Dynasty. Maybe heard of it. Maybe some of you have seen it. I've never seen it, but I've heard a lot about it, especially this past week. He said this in a recent interview. I myself am a product of the 60s, and he gives a little bit of detail about what that involved, and he says, I was that until through my lifestyle, hit, I hit rock bottom. And then I accepted Jesus as my Savior. And he says, my mission today is to go forth and tell people about why I follow Christ and also what the Bible teaches. And part of that teaching is that women and men are meant to be together. He goes on, however, I would never treat anyone with disrespect just because they are different from me. This continues to be his quote. We are all created by the Almighty, and like him, I love all humanity. We would all be better off if we loved him and loved each other. I don't pretend to have learned all the ins and outs of this news story that I'm sure a lot of you caught or his interview, but when I read that, I think what he says is not too bad. In fact, it's pretty good. I believe what the Bible teaches. This is what I try to base my views for life on. Those I disagree with, I love. Well, the result was the following statement by the network his show is on. This is a quote. Duck Dynasty dad Phil Robertson has been suspended indefinitely by the A&E network following his recent comments on same gender attraction and marriage. We are extremely disappointed to have read Phil Robertson's comments in GQ, which are based on his own personal beliefs, and they're not reflected in the series Duck Dynasty. A lot of Christians have been pretty outraged about this. I don't think we should be all that surprised, but I think it is discouraging. I'm not exactly sure what this network is afraid of, Here's a guy who's talking about basing his views in life on the Bible. And he wants to do it in a loving way with respect for all people. And yet there's this insistence by many today that standing on the authority of the Bible on certain issues means you are intolerant. And it means you are hateful. In fact... I have proof that just the opposite is true. I'm reading a book right now by Tim Keller. It's called The Reason for God. And he points this out. Listen to this. Just last century, not that long ago, the very greatest intolerance and violence of the century was carried out not by people of faith, but by people who believed that religion caused intolerance and violence. Soviet Russia, early 1900s, communist China, the Khmer Rouge, Nazi Germany, led by atheists, all in their own way, 
They tried to stop or control religion. And it resulted in millions upon millions upon millions of deaths. And so our view of Scripture, standing on the authority of the Bible, maintaining its truth, is something that has had real results in the history of the world. And it's increasingly causing strong reaction today in our nation. May God give his people the strength and the courage to continue to stand on his word, to stand for the right in the face of persecution, intolerance. Let there be no mistake about it. There is no other direction for living and salvation than the infallible word of God. And as a church, as a people, we must not compromise but we got to continue to stand on God's word. We must continue to proclaim it, continue to be built up in it, and we will. I think it's actually a very bold and courageous statement in today's world, even among our fellow churches, that we put as number one in our mission statement at faith that we will experience God's word. That's a bold statement today. We do that because we believe God's word is infallible. It's reliable. It's authoritative. It's true and it's right. And if there's a conflict between man's word and God's word, we will choose the word of God every time for our church, for our lives, for our households and families, won't we? So the virgin birth is important for our view of the Bible. Secondly, the virgin birth is important for our view of the world. When we talk about our view of the world, we we use sometimes the word worldview. And and college students, Christian college students will be familiar with that. And we talk about different philosophical differences that people might have in their approach to the world. And one of the most fundamental differences that people have in their approach to the world towards the world is to have either a closed view of the world or an open view. You can look at the laws of nature and the laws of physics and what goes on in that action-reaction and believe that's all there is. That's a closed view of the universe. The other option is to believe there is more that God is above and beyond what we can see and touch and hear, and that he can and does step into things. That's an open view. That's how I'm using the word open today. That's what the Bible gives us. Many secular scientists and atheists have a closed worldview. They are materialistic, not in the Madonna-type way in the 80s, but in the philosophical sense that they believe that's all there is. Material. Stuff. That's all there is. The virgin birth shows us that there is more to life than that. God created the material world. He's outside of it. And then, through Mary, he stepped into the world. And it shows God not only stepped into the world, but he also cares about the world because he stepped in in order to send his son to change us and to save us. 
If the world were closed, then secularists would be right about the Bible. Because all there would be would be to follow human reason or the majority opinion, which, by the way, is not always reasonable. But we believe God created this world and he stepped in with his word, the Bible, and even more, he stepped in as the word become flesh in Jesus for salvation. And the world including each one of you and me, we need a Savior who is outside of our realm. And that leads us to our our final point and thought this morning. Third, the virgin birth is important for our view of Jesus, of the Bible, of our view of the world, and now it's important for our view of Jesus. We talk a lot about the birth of Jesus at Christmas. Especially, it seems, we focus on Jesus as a baby born like us. And that's true. He was and he is fully man. He assumed human flesh. That's the way we put it. The virgin birth reminds us that there's even more than that going on here. He's also fully God. And that's really crucial. If he wasn't born of a virgin, I'm not so sure we could as clearly see that or say that. But the virgin birth tells us that while he was born a baby, yes, but Jesus was no ordinary baby. There is a great quote in the weekly email from Timothy Christian Schools where my girls go this past week, and it's from John MacArthur. Them putting this quote in the weekly newsletter shows me again why I think Timothy is such an amazing school. Listen to this. If we could condense all the truths of Christmas into only three words, these words would be God with us. And John MacArthur goes on, we tend to focus our attention at Christmas on the infancy of Christ. The greater truth of the holiday is his deity. More astonishing than a baby in the manger is the truth that this promised baby is the omnipotent creator of the heavens and the earth. People ask the question, was Jesus just a mere man or was he more? The virgin birth shows us he was more. From the very moment his life in human form began, he was God too. And remember, that first moment of life didn't happen at his birth, but it was already at his conception, which happened not through a man's seed, but through the Holy Spirit. He was always God, the second person of the Trinity, in eternity, and he never ceased to be God when he came to this earth. From the moment of his conception on, he was fully man and fully God, and he remains fully man and fully God. There are a lot of implications of that. For one, because of that, he did not inherit a sinful nature like all other people inherit. That was important because for him to be our Savior, to actually save us, We needed him to be without sin. A sinner can't save other lost sinners. We needed him to be perfectly righteous and holy. So Jesus is totally and fully human, but a totally unique human, fully God and without sin. In the end, it was all for your benefit, brothers and sisters, 
that Jesus was born. You know that, don't you? It was all for you that he was born and that he was born as he was, of a virgin, conceived by the Holy Spirit, as our wonderful Heidelberg Catechism says, we're benefited in this way. Jesus is our, and they're talking about what is so great about, what is the significance of the virgin birth and that he was conceived by the Holy Spirit. He says this, Jesus is our mediator, and with his innocence and perfect holiness, he removes from God's sight my sin. Mine since I was conceived. And so, Jesus was born, yes, and he was born of a virgin. Let's not lose sight of that biblical truth in the midst of everything else so wonderful about Christmas. The virgin birth is closely connected to our high view of Scripture, our open worldview where God has and does come in, and our view of the deity of our Lord Jesus Christ. And that action... Jesus assuming human flesh was ultimately for you and me, for God's people, for all who will believe. The promise this morning is that if you put your trust in this Jesus, born of a virgin, you too will be saved and know true, everlasting, Christmas-saving joy. In this life, abundant life, and abundant life in eternity with our Savior. Amen.